Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. Everything you do right now, relies on how well you communicate with your peers, with your friends, with your colleagues, with your customers. And it's become so important. Earlier, you could rely on body language. You could just rely on hanging out. You could rely on making personal connections, being in the same place or grabbing a drink or going out for a coffee together. Now, all that's not there. So as a result, you're going to have to rely on your communication skills and the ability to make connections remotely. U-Turn friends. It's Ash here, and I have a really interesting guest today. His name is Sam Path, and he is the president of Global Enterprise for Verizon Business. And he's been posting a series of white papers on the future of work in a post-COVID world where remote work becomes more of a norm. And while the first two white papers were very tech-focused, hit about how organizations can lead in the future of remote work. And he co-authored that with Verizon Business CEO, Tammy Irwin. And there's just so many recommendations in this white paper. I couldn't help but want to get my hands on it, ask him questions about it, because I know there's so much anxiety uh, and nerves around so for, for so many of us around the future of work. So Sampath, thank you so much for making the time to talk to me about these white papers. Ashley, how are you today? I am so good. You know, it's so funny. I think I've done 150 interviews on this show and I've never been asked how I'm doing at the beginning. (laughs) You're going to do better by the time this ends. Yeah, thank you. You have such good energy. I know you have two little kids running around your house. You're out in New Jersey writing these white papers. Uh, How has it been to be a part of such a huge company in the wake of COVID-19? How would you describe your experience um, in leadership? You know, at Verizon, we had two things. The minute COVID started hitting our shores sometime in early March, we had two things to take care of. First is our employees. You know, between us and our contractors, it's almost 200,000 people. How do you care for them? How do you take care of their personal safety? How do you, you know, motivate them? How do you keep them engaged? And the second is our customer base. You know, more than ever, our customers rely on us for deep network connectivity and management. So, from day one, we had to take care of both our stakeholders, employee and our customers. And then once, probably a couple of weeks in, then we started thinking about you know society and some of our other stakeholders. But phase one was take care of employees, take care of customers. Mm, beautiful. And what was the tone uh, at Verizon just around COVID? Was there a lot of nerves or was it calm? Like how, how what was your guys' interpretation on what it would mean for your business? You know, one of the things we have in our Verizon credos, we run to a crisis. So the minute we realized it was a crisis and it it, it was almost like a formal declaration where we all got together and realized this was a crisis. It was long. It was deep. But more importantly, it was unknown. We didn't know what we were entering into. The minute that happened, there was everyone started running to a crisis. And organizationally, what happens is when you run to a crisis, your organizational boundaries collapse, decision-making happens faster, a new sense of energy comes into the workforce. So we had that as soon as COVID hit us. Mm-hmm. Mm, got it. Okay. And what was your experience with these white papers? Because I know that you authored them with Boston Consulting Group. And you know I associate that company with a lot of detail orientation and excellence. So I imagine that the findings you have on the future of work are very data-based. And I'm curious, is there anything about these white papers that surprised you in particular about what people can 
expect in the future of work? And what are three or four trends that you really want to make sure that the U-Turn podcast listeners know so that they can prepare as people in the workforce um, for what's to come? I think the first phase is remote working is here to stay. Mm -hmm. People have written books and articles about, are we going to move into a completely virtualized world where everyone's going to just work from their homes or at some point, we're all going to go back to where we were and go back to our offices. I don't know the answer to that. I have some thoughts. We should chat about that. But to be honest, I don't know where we are going to land. What I do know is there will always be some form of remote working that's going to happen. Even today in America, around 10 to 15% of people work remotely. You know, At the peak of the COVID, probably 40, 50 million Americans were working remotely. But this is going to be a new normal the ability to work remotely at times. And when it becomes a new normal, it also becomes a source of competitive advantage for companies. Companies that can do it well, can do it better than the others, can attract better talent, have more engaged workforce, have better results for their customers and themselves. So what was something of a business continuity process or something reasonably mundane has turned into a source of competitive advantage. So I think that's one pretty big theme that... uh, we've picked up across all of these. The the second theme I would talk about is technology. Uh, You know, there are hundreds of tools. People use all tools. Some work, some don't. I won't opine on that. But people were not ready with some of their underlying basic digital processes. So, for example, you know, large companies require people to get together. You have to sign documents. You have to meet in person. Minutes are taken. So a lot of the digital processes of companies were not ready. The technology was actually fine for the most part, but their internal processes, how they deal with each other, how they deal with their customers, wasn't set up to run in a 2020 environment. It was set up much before. So I think digital transformation was another one where many companies have been working on it for decades, but hadn't seen progress. I think it was Lenin who said, you know, there are decades when nothing happens and there are weeks when decades happen. This feels like decades happened for digital transformation. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And I love that thought just like from a personal development lens, because I think sometimes when people take time off, for example, they think like, oh my gosh, I need to be working. Like they feel like they're not making progress in their life when it's like one elegant idea that you can get in time off can be so much more valuable than years of working on something that isn't true for you. It doesn't have like the, you know, the right juice for you. So it, it, it's a, what a powerful quote from Lennon about um, how decades can happen in a, in a week. And can you tell me a little bit about remote work? Because I, I would read somewhere that around 30% of the workforce had remote working options before COVID. And now we're at 48% of the workforce predicted. I saw in a study that 48% was predicted to continue to have that option. I actually thought that was quite low. Did you find higher numbers in your findings? or And, and how can businesses thrive with so many people remote? Because while I understand the value and the productivity with it, I also know that sometimes when teams come together, there's some results that really can't be created apart. Um, what, what do you believe are going to be some pit, pitfalls from this? Actually, I, I'm not of the opinion that remote work is fundamentally a high productivity game. Because while, you know, you reduce the commute time, you reduce some of the chit chat you do, you know, you you reduce the time you go down to your cafeteria and grab a a sandwich. So you do save on some time, which potentially you could put back at work, but you lose a lot by not being together. So I'll give you a couple of scenarios that I don't think remote work has fully solved. Remote work is good when everyone knows what they are doing and it is reasonably well laid out. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to do new things, when you're trying to bend the course of a river, you have to look at people in the eye. You've got to make that human to human connection. And remote work just doesn't cut it. For example, I want to start a new project. I want to change a deeply embedded process in a company. Me getting on the phone or getting on video conferencing with 15 of my colleagues most of whom are multitasking, doesn't cut it. So I think that's one situation where I don't think remote works well. The second one is new people. You know, remote work works well when you have people you work with, you know them, you know their habits. When he or she says something, you kind of got it, makes sense. But when you have people who are new to the company, who you've never met, you don't understand their chemistry, you don't understand their body language, it becomes very difficult to do things in a remote environment. 
So I don't think remote environment fundamentally solves all your problems. Now, having said that, it's here to stay. Uh, we're going to have to find social norms as well as business processes and governance systems to work around it. Got it. Okay. And um, when you're also kind of talking about pervasive technology and also data, what are some things that come to mind? Because I know that remote work is here to stay and it's going to be a huge option for a lot of employees, which, like you said, decades just basically happened in weeks with progress towards this. And I know that the everyday worker really wants this option. What do you see happening with technology? And I also know data and cybersecurity is going to be a huge topic as if it's not already. What 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 can employees expect with technology and what skills do you think it's going to take for people listening right now to really thrive in the future with that? You know, let's start with cyber, you know, cybersecurity. You know, at Verizon, we see, you know, one third of the world's internet traffic we see at some point. So, you know, we have a very large and pervasive security practice. You know, we've been lucky uh, in post-COVID that we've not had any major breaches across of some of the largest companies in the world. Because very quickly, people move to remote practices. You know, for example, you're working on an application, you have a roommate, you share a room you know, share a room or a living room with someone, your screen is open, people can do things. Two, you're accessing networks through, you know, unsecured Wi-Fi, either in the lobby of your building or at a local coffee shop. So I think the perimeter has really increased. The threat surface has really increased because of remote working. So I think over the next year or so, people are going to have to figure out and block some of these issues on cyber. I think this is something we did it very quickly. People moved out and worked in probably 10, 12 days. They set it up and running. But I think cyber is an area where people are going to have to develop practices, develop better technology, invest in technology to do that. Got it. I think the second area of technology, which is reasonably straightforward, is connectivity. You know, some of us take connectivity for granted. You know, most people living in urban markets, you know, they have one or two providers. Uh, the smarter ones take Verizon, but I'll leave it that to the others. Uh, but there is still a large part of America which is not fully connected. Either they can't afford it or we don't have rural connectivity in some places. And this could create a type of digital divide that has never happened before. Because always people get in a car and go to work and they had equal opportunities. But if now all the work is happening remotely, you need better connectivity, it could create a world of have and have not. So I think that's a new factor which we've not seen before. Mm, mm, got it. And um, I, I'm also kind of curious, like you talked about a shift in the talent pool. So we've got you know, the rise of remote work, we have more people needing different technologies that support them in cybersecurity and also just support with productivity and team connection. Um, you talked about a dramatic shift in the talent pool. I would love your take on what do you see changing in the talent pool? And also, what does this mean for people in their career right now who want to stay competitive in the market? Yeah, you know, one of the things this does for the talent pool is uh, the geo angle goes away. Because historically, if you wanted to work in Silicon Valley, you had to pay some crazy rent and live in downtown uh, San Francisco in a shoebox because that's the only way you could serve and work in some of the best uh, technology and web-based companies in the world. That changes now because as more and more people work remotely and remote becomes a norm, uh, it takes away the geo angle to it. So you're going to have talent pools that were that were could not have access to earlier, you have access to right now. It could be within the country, it could be international as well, because everyone is remote. It doesn't matter if you're 10 miles remote or whether you're a thousand miles remote. It doesn't matter if it's all remote. So I think it opens up a lot of new opportunities for folks as they're working through their career. Second thing, I would also say that it puts a lot more pressure on talent to stay connected with each other. Because you went into an office and one of the things is you connect with people around you. You know, you chat with your colleagues, you get to know them. In a remote world, it, things become very, very isolationist because you're working in your bedroom or in your little home office or a closet somewhere. That's your world. So unless you pick up a phone or make an effort to talk to someone you don't. And that could have uh, impact on engagement, which could also have impact on what type of talent you attract. The... Third one is how a company 
shows up, how they manage the remote environment is, as I said, it's going to be a competitive differentiator. So you want to look for companies that are open to it, companies that want to leverage technology to solve their problems, and more importantly, are willing to change some of the old habits. It's a great sign for companies if they're willing to change old habits and how they run things. Mm, mm, mm. And any, I'm, I'm curious about what your opinion is on job hunting and like for you as a business executive, what it would take for somebody to stand out. Because I know that with COVID and all of the layoffs, it's kind of moved from what is the perception of, a, you know, an employee's market, which was the past, you know, that there's a lot of competition to get the best talent. And now it feels like it's an employer's market where the companies have their pick of the cream of the crop, you know, and there's a lot of people that are highly talented and looking for jobs right now. What's your opinion on job hunting right now? What What's your opinion on people who don't like their job and they maybe want to make a change just based on the data you're seeing on the future of work? Is now the time to kind of hunker down and stay hiding in your job? Or is now a good time to just be bold and, and ask for what you want and make a career change? You know, it's for good quality talent. It's always an employee's market. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. It's always the case. If you have good talent and a couple of things have happened. Uh, there are some traits that historically I, I felt wasn't valued enough, but because of this most post-pandemic pandemic world becomes more valuable. A uh, couple of them are communication because everything you do right now relies on how well you communicate with your peers, with your friends, with your colleagues, with your customers. And it's become so important. Earlier, you could rely on body language. You could just rely on hanging out. You could rely on making personal connections, being in the same place or grabbing a drink or going out for a coffee together. Now, all that's not there. So as a result, you're going to have to rely on your communication skills and the ability to make connections remotely. It's a very important skill for job hunters today, but for for most employees in general. And that's one area. Second is, it's also opened up new opportunities in companies. You know, uh, for example, uh, when you look at Verizon, we digital has become an even bigger part of us. So we need a lot more digital professionals, a lot more web technology folks, a lot more product folks. Most companies are enabling their digital transformation, even very, very old companies that haven't done it for years, who barely have an email for most of their employees, are now talking about, Make, you know, cloud enabling their companies. So this opens a lot of new opportunities, lastly, mostly for youngsters, folks who work in, you know, what I call digital native companies to come and help some of the more established companies get there. Mm, okay. And I'm also curious, like you talked a little bit about communication skills and I'm curious in your perception as an executive who's interviewed probably tons of candidates and you're continuing to look for top talent. And I love what you said. I do believe deeply that it is always a performer's market. Like if you're a top performer, you're always going to have opportunities. People can feel a high performer. They can feel results. They could see it on a resume and they could feel it in person. So I'm, I'm curious, like what communication skills, when you talk about the importance of communication, what are some things, whether it's in a job interview or just... When you take a look at your, you know, your workforce at Verizon as a whole, that you think this is a good communicator, this is somebody I want to trust, or they have executive presence. You know, I, this is a topic I've I've been coached my whole life. I've been quite lucky, and I like to say that three things. The first is the ability to synthesize your thoughts. Uh, what I see a lot of times is people will come and ramble, and rambling is not communication. Mm-hmm. rambling is literally vomiting what's in your head. It's not a very useful thing. So the first piece is how are you succinctly synthesizing the points you want to make? And it comes with practice. You have to use a pen. You've got to use a paper. You've got to write your notes down, put it on a, on a sheet somewhere. Keep writing it till you get it right. You know, I think who was it who said, if I had more time, I would have written you a shorter letter. I think it was Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher. So write me a shorter letter. Be succinct and synthesize your thoughts. Mm-hmm. The second one I, I, I look for in all my interviews is energy. Uh, even more important now because energy is contagious or lack of energy is even more contagious. So how do you portray the light, right level of positive energy in an interview? I think that's the one. The third piece is storytelling. And it's very difficult sometimes to explain concepts in its abstract form. 
So how do you wrap that up in a story that is succinct at the same time helps land land your points very clearly? So when I interview folks, I look for those three things as I interview the candidates. Mm, I love this. And um, is there any, are there any books or resources or, or things that you've turned to that have really impacted the way you see communication or energy or storytelling? You know, I'm not a millennial. My wife tells me I'm definitely, I've just passed the millennial piece. Uh, there is a, a, a very young author, web author called David Perel, who is probably 27, 28 years old. And he is one of the best communicators in the world I have seen. Uh, he practices it. He spends a lot of time on it. He writes on a varied set of subjects, some useful, some not useful. But what's more interesting is how he writes and how he communicates. It's on the web. He's got a He's got a website, he's got a blog. He's also got uh, an online class he does on writing, which I've taken, I find it very useful as well. Uh, David Perel, P-E-R-R-E-L-L. Okay, I'm going to put this in the show notes, David Burrell. And then for anybody else who's um, looking for resources, there's a book called Winning the Story Wars. I don't know if you've seen that one, but I started reading that one. I thought it was really powerful, figuring out how to storytell. And on this podcast, we had an, a recent episode on storytelling from John Romanello and and I don't know, Sampath, if you ever are interested in just kind of getting a little brush on storytelling, but wow, this episode, this guy, he he went through the basics of storytelling. And sometimes it's funny to me how much we go into what's complicated and we forget the basics. And it's so powerful to get back to the simple pieces of what makes a good story. And just listening to you, I'm also thinking about the importance of storytelling when you're in an interview, because I think there's a lot of people saying what they can do, but not showing what they can do. And if you're in a job interview and you know there's a certain skill they want from you, it's so much more powerful to say, actually, this is a skill that I used last week or last month. And here's the result that came from me using that skill and, and kind of taking your tips where you get really succinct in your story and you have good energy. So I always tell clients that I coach, like, what are five results you've created and how can you share it in a very succinct story with good energy? You know, that's a good point because a lot of times when I see resumes, you know, uh, people use words like dynamic and path-breaking. They're not very useful to me. They say very little about you. Of course, everyone is dynamic. Everyone's path-breaking. Every, you know, everyone can do things. Uh, I think there are three things I like to see when people write resumes. The first is, tell me, or even in interviews, what was the situation you were in or what's the problem you're solving? What were the results? And what was your role in writing the results? And if you stay with those three things, situation, results, your role, and repeat it again and again and again through your whole interview or your resume, it's a much easier read for the other person. Yeah, I can so see that. And I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, words, but not a lot of results sometimes on resumes. So it's it's good to hear this from you. And you know, you, you also talk about how in the white papers uh, on the future of work with Boston Consulting Group, the most important consideration will be how to keep people and the human touch at the core of business. And I, I'm already seeing this. I think it's kind of like use it or lose it. Like I think a lot of people are home and as they stay home, it's almost like hard to imagine going, leaving your house at eight in the morning every day and going to an office anymore. What is your take on certain practices that people can do who are listening right now to keep their teams feeling connected? You know, I this is an area I am so worried about. I run a very, very large team. It's a global team. And I'm I'm a little frustrated with myself, my inability to travel. Like typically, my typical week would be I would spend three days on the week meeting my teams around the world, spending taking them with me to clients, or they take me with clients, and then we spend time together. I'm unable to do that right now. And I worry whether I'm going to get disengaged from the team. Am I going to lose the pulse of an organization? And most of my managers have the same worry as well. So a couple of things we've started doing. Uh, and look, this is an art we're going to have to learn how to do. I don't think the books have been written yet. I don't think that a seminal thesis has been written yet. So we're going to have to wade up through, wade through it. I think mm -hmm. the first piece is communication. And I know it sounds very, very basic. Because there's so much uncertainty around everything. When is the office going to open? When is the office not going to open? What's going to happen to us? to our jobs, what's going to happen to our business? Are the customers doing well? Communicate. And there is almost nothing is too much communication. People can switch off if they don't want to hear. But when you have uncertainty around you, you want to be told that someone's thinking through these issues. They don't have all the answers. But when they do, they're going to let you know it. 
So just communicate, even if it's a process communication, hey, these are the things we are looking at. This is likely answers, but we've got more work to do. I think we've got to do that. The second piece is for managers, I tell them they're going to have to spend more time on one-on-one coaching. You know, typically most managers spend every other week, they spend one-on-one with their teams. I've asked most of my teams to do that almost weekly, you know, one-on-one connection because most of the employees don't have any connection with their managers if they're not in the same workforce. You know, they get on calls together, but they're always discussing things. They can never talk about their performance, what they're doing, what they can do better and learning and coaching. So I think that's a one-on-one culture that needs to be reinforced and you almost need to double up in a in this new kind of new environment. The third piece I recommend, you know, as you work with people is the, it's the good old phone call. You know, uh, for example, at Verizon, the Mother's Day has always been our busiest phone call day. But in a post-COVID environment, almost every day is Mother's Day because people are talking more. They're picking up the phone and they're calling people more. I, on an average, try and get to at least seven to nine people every single day who are not on my calendar. I make a list in the morning. Whenever I get breaks, 10-minute breaks, five-minute breaks, in the evening, I call them up. And it's a relief. We rarely talk about work. It's mm-hmm. going on with the kids, what do you eat for dinner, what Netflix show you watch. But it adds a connection. And if everyone does that, you end up talking a little more. But it keeps the organization together. You understand how people are feeling, what's the emotion. And uh, we'll get through this together. Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Career Clarity Lab, the online course to help you find your career purpose in the workforce and upgrade your confidence. So if you're ready to unlock the best career path for you and you'd like to try a free version of our Clarity course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash Clarity. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash Clarity. Now let's get back to this week's episode. You know, another thing that I kind of found interesting when your team reached out is they said that there's three key human-centric and interlocking pillars for leadership, the head, the heart, and the hands, and they must work well together because each one supports the other in a cohesive organization. What do they mean by the head, the heart, and the hands, and how do you use that in your day-to-day work? Yeah, it's, you know, it's the bionic organization. You know, there are three things. The head, the head is all about the, what is the organization strategy? What's the vision? You know, you draw upon your strategic thinking, the imagination, you set your priorities, the big rocks that will deliver results and create this enduring value. That's the head. The Mm -hmm. heart is around inspiration and empowering people. What's the organization's purpose? What's the value? What's the culture? Hands is basically what's a set of actions. Put it crudely, it's getting shit done. And one of the things you see is you always need a very good balance between these three. You know, uh, and there are phases in our company where we all become hands. We've got a plan. We're just going after it relentlessly, executing on the ground, getting things done, micromanaging each other, but getting things done. And what we see is mm-mm, we took the eye off the ball, the head and the heart were not balanced enough, and then fatigue sets in, people lose mojo. So the ability, almost like a three-legged stool, you got to keep all these three balanced. Mm, okay. And, um, I, you know, when I think about the head, the heart, the hands, you talked about corporate culture. And that's one thing that I just can't seem to like fully reconcile in my head yet of like, what does COVID mean for different corporate cultures and how are we going to keep them intact? And you kind of talked about how like the biggest challenge is figuring out how to keep people connected behind the computer screens when they're at home. What, are, what do you think people should look out for when they're looking for new jobs, making career changes? And they're considering corporate cultures because my sense is that it's very challenging to keep a corporate culture when you're not together. No, it is. It is. And, you know, culture is not what's written on the wall. It's not your slogan. It's not your credo. It's not your vision. Uh, It can't be printed in a brochure. Culture is how people react and how people act. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's also quite difficult to create your culture because you just can't throw something on the wall and say, okay, this is a new culture. you got to act it every single day and people are going to watch you. People are going to watch you. They're going to watch your peers. 
to see if you are acting in a way that is consistent with your culture. And as this happens, you'll see that companies with strong cultures almost always outperform their peers. You know, as part of my white paper, we did some work, you know, companies with strong cultures have almost 50% less turnover. They have around 40% less absenteeism. And it's crazy. Like you can't pay for culture. You can't, you know, you can't buy culture. You got to invest it over a very, very long period of time. But the results and the output you get from having a good culture is great. Now, in a post-pandemic world, uh, I think it's going to be culture. It's also how employees are staying engaged. It's going to add a new dimension to the culture. So I think I always tell people when they're joining companies, you can go to the internet, you can do research, you can do all your stuff. But literally going and finding three, four people who already work there in a company, talking to them is the best way to find out about the culture. And you've got to ask probing questions. You know, the, are you mi- micromanaged? How do your managers treat you? What's the tone from the CEO? You've got to ask very direct questions. And in that, you'll get clues of your culture. Because typically people go, they read the annual report, they go to a website and say, oh, I love the company's culture. No, you got to ask pointed questions because culture is nothing but actions and how people act. Mm, okay. I think that's really helpful context. And um, when you think about all of these these companies and you talk about the head, the heart, and the hands working well together, what is something that you're doing right now that you think is really successful or, or something that you're seeing amongst employees that you found, wow, this has really been a pleasant surprise for me as a business leader during COVID? You know, one, as I said, is just calling people up. You know, mm-hmm. we, we get into such a meeting culture. We're always in meetings. We're running between meetings. We forget just calling people up. This is the equivalent of dropping by someone's office. You know, hey, how was your day? Let's grab a coffee. So you try and do it remotely. You know, I think you you, you do that. The second is, you know, one of the themes I have is you have to lead with kindness and integrity. Integrity is pretty straightforward. I don't think anything should be said about that. It is who we are. But kindness has become a trait, which I'm trying to push through my organization, also change my behavior to adapt to it. Because we have so much of uncertainty around us, uh, in our home situation, we may not have daycare, we have kids running around, you may have some, you're a caregiver, you're taking care of someone. Uh, we don't know what's going on in people's home. Earlier when they came to the office, they were able to shut that out because you're in the office, you're in a workspace and everything, everyone is kind of equal, you're working through that. But in a home environment, you're taking care of many things, many, many different things. So the ability to just be kind and spread that aggressively across your teams I'm finding to be useful. I'm practicing it myself. Not enough. I got to do more of it. My team's got to do more of it. But we want to be known. I want to be known as someone who drives kindness and integrity at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love this. And I, I find that um, in the workplace, people just get stressed and it's like they lose their kindness because they're on edge in some way. And I understand that's so human. I was also reading just on these white papers how we're about to enter the fourth wave of remote working, which is the new normal, as remote work has kind of moved past this idea of saving money. That was kind of phase one was like, okay, there's no point of everybody being here during this to like being an incentive, you know, like working remote so that you can, um, you know, entice your talent. And then now there's the current state of COVID, which is we work remote because we have to for health issues and reasons. Um, what do you see being the fourth offer of remote work? Because I know in the past companies, and I, I very much so as a freelance type of solopreneur, I've had a lot of hires that work remote because I don't want to pay for an office space. I don't even want to go to one. So I'm very much in the phase one of cost savings. Like what's the point? I know a lot of employees are kind of, we're in phase two of remote work, which was they see that as an incentive. And now being in COVID, it's like, we're here because we have to. What do you see as the integration that would be represented in the fourth wave of remote working? You know, I love the word solo prono. I love it. I'm going to use it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you know, the fourth wave, I call it the new normal. Uh, it's essentially, it's a, uh, you become an expert at remote working and deploys at scale to a point where it creates a culture and it attracts people and it differentiates you from others. And 
you know, you do it across verticals, you have next generation technologies you bring into the whole experiment, but it becomes a source of talent, attracting talent. Oh, that company is really good at enabling remote work. Hence, I want to be part of that. And it's a pretty tall order where you're not excited by the perks the company does. You're not excited by the products it does. You're not excited by the free food in the cafeteria. You're actually excited by their ability to manage and encourage and attract people with remote work. And Mm -hmm. it becomes a major source of competitive advantage. I don't think anyone's there yet or any large companies there yet, but it will require digital processes to be redone. It will require best in class uh, software. For example, you have a good laptop, you have lighting, you have connectivity. Uh, It also has collaboration software. Everything can be accessed at the tip of your finger. And then last is the culture piece we spoke about. How do you engage people and stay with it? So I I think this is uh, something that was earlier, you know, the CIO did it on Friday between 4 and 5.15. And hey, this is my business continuity plan. Now it's going to come up to board level conversations on how this has become a source of advantage for us. Mm. Mm. Okay. And I am also, you know, just kind of like evaluating all of this and like, do you think that the future of work with remote employees, is going to be kind of a blend. And is this something that you think talent can actually require of their employer? Like it's going to be so strong in the future that they can say, I don't want to work here without it. And employers are going to have to adapt. Like what's your take on how that conversation is going to look? I I do think it's going to be this hybrid model, you know, Mm -hmm. where you're going to have to come in sometimes into work. You can work sometimes remotely or a certain weeks you work home, certain weeks you come. There's going to be this hybrid model. And I say that because, look, there are some tasks where you know what to do and you just do it. You know, Mm -hmm. there's not not much deviation in your output. The processes are well laid out. For example, if you're uh, working in a call center, you're a customer service agent. You know, you have screens, it tells you what to do, you work through it. It's reasonably well contained. But let's say you're in a product organization, you know, where uh, you have to get together with colleagues and, you know, figure out customer pain points, travel, understand what customers want, understand all the technologies and create magical products. Uh, Not so easy to uh, do all this, uh, you know, working from your bedroom. So I think this hybrid model is going to continue for a while until we get there. Got it. Okay. And, um, you know, from a practical standpoint, I know that companies, I, w- I was reading in this, that they need to rethink many operations with a great number of employees remote. Everything from how they're going to use productivity tools to how they handle basic IT issues. Um, what do you think are a couple technologies that are going to be so key for the future of work when it comes to this? You know, uh, the first is connectivity, as basic as it sounds. I think the ability to have high speed low latency internet is going to be critical. And, you know, you can do it either through your fiber, through cable, wirelessly. Of course, we are all investing a lot. We're betting the farm on 5G. But just having good, high-quality connectivity is going to be very key to this. And most companies who have good broadband businesses are going to do great. So I think that's one piece thing. The second is a set of collaboration tools you know, whether it's BlueJeans or Zoom or WebEx or chat, Google Meets, chat, just good quality, reliable tools that work all the time. You don't need to go around fiddling with passwords and settings. It just works. I think that's the second thing. The third is digital sharing tools. For example, where you can share workspaces, you can share files, you can work on documents together you know, with the Office 365 or Google Suites or other products that do that. Those two are going to be very, very important. I know they're very basic, but many companies still haven't got there. You know, as you as a solopreneur, probably there, I got to use the word there, you know, have, you've already gotten there, you know, with digital cloud-based tools, but most companies haven't got there. So I think if you have those basics, right, which is high quality connectivity that works, it's reliable, collaboration software, and then sharing workloads and creating and co-creating documents together or co-creating whiteboards together. I think those are three very critical tools that every company is just going to have. Yeah, definitely. And I know that more employees remote also brings out all these security concerns. 
Can can you give an example of why employees should be so concerned about security? Because I know companies, obviously, I don't want their information out there. But like for me, I, I used to work in counterterrorism and I knew of a couple, like even a coach like me who had an online business where somebody was able to hack their business. They got their credit card information. They got their money. They drained their account. They were logged in on their laptop and their FaceTime light was on, but they weren't on FaceTime. So they were being watched. I mean, what is going on in this world with cybersecurity is terrifying. And is there a way for you to explain what the ramifications are for this or or help um, everybody listening really understand the importance of cybersecurity when it comes to working remote? You know, uh, we have something called the DBIR. Well, of course, we haven't had marketing hasn't spent time on it. It's called a data breach investigation report where we take all the data breaches that have happened over the last year. We analyze them, get a lot of you know, proprietary data from 70, 80 sources and put together a couple of key takeaways for us. One is almost all crime, cyber crime, is driven by financial motives. You know, I know people get excited by, uh, you know, the spies, the espionage and things like that. But for most common people like me and maybe you, Mm -hmm. people hack you for money. They want your credit card. They want your credentials. They want to buy something on you or they want to put some ransomware. It's pretty straightforward. People do it for money. Cyber crime still pays. So that's the motivation for you being attacked. And as a result, what happens is it you have to protect your assets. Now, your assets can be compromised in many ways, either through the browser, through your phone, through a chat. So I think just being aware of what your perimeter is, what your surface is, and just managing that is very important. Second is, you know, uh, for the common person, it's also phishing, you know, uh, where... You, you have an email, people don't see it, they click on the email, it takes them to some site, there's malware on your phone. You just got to be careful of that. Look, none of this is rocket science, but it's just discipline. It's muscle memory, it's discipline. Don't click on anything to do. If something sounds too good, it probably is. You know, it doesn't sound too good to be true, it probably is. So I think it's money is still the biggest driver of uh, of breaches and attacks. And just being careful on that is important. Mm, yeah, such a good reminder. Well, look, I, I feel like I could talk to you forever. Is there something I haven't asked you about the future of work that you would love for me to make sure everybody can hear right now as they prepare to kind of go out into the future that's pretty much leaking into the present right now? Yeah, I think it is leaking into the into the present. I think the question is, what are new job families that are going to be created over the next 10 years that don't yeah. exist today? Or- Tell me are not prioritized. I keep thinking about that a lot. And a couple of them I'm going to throw out. You know, there's the obvious ones, the contact tracers and stuff. But I think the ability or the skills to get companies through that digital transformation is going to be massive. Even small, like my HVAC company, the person who comes and repairs my air conditioning. You know, you, you call a nice lady, picked up the phone, she would dispatch someone, you would come into it. They need to automate. They need to get digital. They can get on a website and just in two clicks get it done. So if they have to digitally enable that, imagine everyone else in the world is going to have to go through that. And that's going to throw up thousands and thousands, I expect millions of jobs, whether it's be you know, digital rights management, creating websites, uh, managing cloud-based software, creating cloud-based software, taking processes and making them more digital enabled, it's going to be just massive. It's going to create a whole class of jobs that don't exist. So I think people, as they get into the workforce, need to start look for that. Because one, the competition on that's not going to be that heavy. Two, employers don't exactly know what they want. So you can define the jobs for them. You can help define what they're looking for. So I think there's a lot of upside to be had, but it will require a fair amount of reskilling, Ashley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I totally see that. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I just so appreciate your time here. Um, if somebody wants to learn more about all of this, where do you suggest that they go? You know, just put in the Google search Verizon Business Group. We have a bunch of white papers. We do this for a living. So love to share anything folks have. Uh, but most importantly, stay safe, stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much again for being here. Hey there, it's Ash, just reflecting on the episode with Sam Path. And isn't it just such a joy when we get a business executive who has 
so much charisma and is so easy to listen to. I find that sometimes in these large companies, the executives aren't always as uh, well-spoken for some reason. And I just really appreciated this episode. And I wanted to give you a few things extra to think about with the future of work. So I know right now we are in very uncertain times and with that can come a lot of anxiety and uh, worry about whether you're safe or secure. And it also makes it feel especially groundless when we're reflecting on what our next career move might be. And I wanted to kind of get back to the basics with you and share some content that I outline in my book, uh, the U-Turn book, which obviously if you haven't gotten your copy, I'm so excited. It's finally on Amazon. And there's there's one of the chapters that I talk about my career in the Pentagon and how I just really didn't, I wasn't using my core skill set. And I find that your core skill set is the key ingredient to a career that really works for you and a career that you can carry with you into the future. And I think one of the biggest mistakes people make in their career is they become really focused on what their interest is or what industry they're in. And they don't think enough about, well, what skill do I want to carry with me right now into my career onwards? And I think that this is really the crux of a good career and somebody who's really happy and stimulated in their career is they're using their core skill set. So um, I wanted to go through the 10 core skill sets that exist here. Um, and usually people have a primary one and also a secondary one. So it's it's just important for you to know at least what your primary core skill set is. So the first one's innovation. This is all about being the ideas person or the second in command at a company often, or even the entrepreneur themselves. But it, you can also be an intrapreneur if your skill set is innovation. So hopefully you have your pen and pad out because I'm about to go through 10 of these. Number two is building. So the second core skill set that I write about in the U-Turn book is building. This is um, anything from the construction worker who's using their hands. Um, It can even be considered as an architect who is building a building. So, you know, something that focuses on building energy. Um, Number three is words. I mean, not to like, you know, toot my horn over here, but I think my my skill set is words. So I'm always expressing and any career that is allowing me to use words, whether I'm writing them, whether I'm talking them, I'm clearly just a little bit of a chatty Kathy. So that's my foundational being. Number four is motion. So this is the fitness trainer, the tour guide, anybody that's on their feet wants to be in motion all day. The fifth one is service. Um, this is the person who is the nurturer and loves serving. And number six is coordination. So coordination is all about the person who loves logistics. I obviously think of events people for this one. Uh, Seven is analysis. This could be a therapist who's analyzing somebody. A therapist could also be words if they're good at words. But this could also be like a researcher for me when I was at the Pentagon, like intelligence analyst analysis. Uh, Number eight is numbers. So these are my little fellow number crunchers out there. Bookkeepers you know, investment bankers, all the numbers people. Number nine is technology. Thank God for the genius bar at Apple who has fixed my laptop so many times this past year. Um, These are the people who just have a gift for understanding how tech works, putting it together, breaking it apart, all of that. And number 10 is one of my favorites. It's beauty. These are the people who have an eye for aesthetics. And it is really important that when you look at these 10 core skill sets, you reflect on which one is in your core being. Which one and and the way you kind of know that is like for example, I write about in my book how I worked at a preschool when I was younger, that was like my first job. And even though the job that I had, I think I like helped prepare meals and I worked at the front desk and all this stuff, it didn't really require words. Like the main job didn't call that forward, but I was finding ways to use words. Like I was offering to do like the email, you know, email list. I was offering to write brochures. They always had me editing stuff. So it's almost like that core skill set shined through. So I want to just bring you back to the basics on this post episode conversation about this, about the future of work, because ultimately, no matter what the future holds, your core skill set is something you can harness into many different types of jobs. So hopefully that was helpful to you. If you haven't gotten your copy of the U-Turn book, support a sister and get one. I I just um, 
I don't know. I can't believe that I'm now an author. And I, you know, I know the book isn't out until January, but the pre-orders help me look good with this publisher, which I guess matters if I want to write more books. So thank you for supporting me at uturnbook.com. You can get a copy or just on Amazon, you can find me. Can't wait for you to read it and go deeper on topics like this one. And hope this episode helped you as much as it did me. Take care. again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.